The following program is intended for mature audiences. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend, indeed it does. And we'll be right back, folks, after the first gem of the day.
Talk about a high school flashback, right? Wow. And and folks, this is coming from a guy who purportedly does not enjoy hair metal at all. No, not at all, not at all. <laughs> and it was it was the wallpaper of the mid eighties. It was completely the soundtrack. And uh, and yeah, that took me right back. That was like, wow, okay, I remember yep. that. I remember stuff we did. Yep. And when you had said to me, he's like, they didn't have a lot of hits, did they, John? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself real quickly. I'm like, no. But yet, if you were to imagine a uh, a steamer trunk covered with stickers of of hair bands of the '80s, you would find an Aldo Nova Absolutely. sticker on there. A- like Absolutely, they, you know, like they had a presence. Okay, first of all, that's a great name, Aldo Nova. That just <laughs> and it turns out he was an interesting character. Go uh, on, doing a little research. That, of course, was the uh, debut single from the Canadian rocker producer Aldo Nova. It appeared on his uh, eponymous 1982 debut album. But uh, in looking into this guy and trying to find you know, a worthy anecdote, mm-hmm. uh, apparently after his 1985 record release, uh, Twitch, he got into a fight with his record label, which is not unusual, mm-hmm. and demanded that they release him. He had enough. They said no. So this guy, in true F.U. rocker fashion... <laughs> right. Refused to do any more performances, any more recordings, moved to Montreal, and did commercial jingles until his contract expired in 1991. Nice. And (laughs) later went on to win a Grammy for his production work on the 1996 Celine Dion album, Falling Into You. Wow. Talk about your diametric opposites. Seriously. Yeah. From... from (laughs) Fantasy to... Celine. Whatever whatever was (laughs) on that album. Right. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, it turns out interesting cat. Interesting well, good for character. him because yeah, you know who, who doesn't just loathe big business and and whatnot. Oh yeah, and those radio fat cats. Mm-hmm. And yeah, rockers getting into a fight with their record labels is not exactly a new story. Yes, but what you do, how you go about doing it, mm-hmm. that's what makes the difference. And uh, yep. you know, credit to Aldo Nova, he stuck to his guns. Good for him. A, yeah. a stereotypical example of a. Dragon riding hair medalist <laughs> reaching for the brass ring and gee whiz, did I just drop enough hints as to where we're going today? <laughs> I think you did. A couple of keywords in that last phrase. Folks. Dragons and rings. Yeah, it's never a bad time to discuss dragons. Never. never. And never. Uh, here, here's your your um, disclaimer for this episode of forewarning, mm. a little foreshadowing. We're going full nerd. Yeah. You know, in this oh, business, we're, they we're always say nerd now. Unless your podcast is. Specifically catering to nerds, which yes. we really don't. We, we kind of don't. Thirty percent of the time, we do. Yeah, you know. Uh, we've decided we're going full nerd in this episode, and we're discussing uh, the revival, if you will, the the recent spate of uh, top shelf sword and sorcery streaming fantasy epics. Indeed. How's that for a mouthful, yes. right there? You, every now and again, you do have to embrace your inner nerd, regardless. And uh, and yeah, there's stuff stuff going on now. That's just, you know, nerd, nerd. overdrive Nerdville. stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it, it probably doesn't take a lot to guess that we're making reference to the one-two punch of House of the Dragon mm-hmm. and Rings of Power. Indeed. Now, we, uh, we look at these uh, series kind of from different perspectives. You know, yeah. you're the, uh, the literary guy, and I will confess, much better read than I am. Oh, thank you. And I'm coming at this from a uh, basement-dwelling Dungeons & Dragons nerd <laughs> Um, in my formative years, uh, and, and the appreciative appreciation of these things from that perspective, as well as one of the few human beings to actually get through reading the Silmarillion. Yeah. 
And I actually did an oral report on that in wow. high school. So yeah, okay. I, I have a okay. nerd pedigree. Nice. So either way, you know, I loved um, HBO's production of Game of Thrones, like so many other people. Yeah. And when I saw Amazon was going to do uh, a piece on the extended works, let's call it, of, of uh, Tolkien, yeah. I was all excited. You know, just a little aside, don't anybody kid yourselves, nerds rule the world. Oh, they, okay? they completely do. They get all the girls, Bill they make Gates, all the money. Elon Musk, <laughs> sorry, nerds rule the world. Right. If you can survive high school, the rest is gravy. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, you know, just like the superhero genre, okay? Yeah. I, I would tell people when I was a kid that I was blue in the face, all they need to do is make movies of all these superheroes and I'll rake in the cash. Yeah, okay, go away, kid. <laughs> uh-huh. So anyway, we're going to anyway. look at this stuff today through the lens of a couple of um, hotbed topics that have just surfaced yes. or organically on their own. And um, let's say from the start, here's the, the, easy, the easy bugaboo. Yeah. Both series have gone out of their way and in a decidedly different light than their previous incarnations to be all-inclusive in terms of the ethnicity of the characters and the yes, actors that have. play them. Yes. Okay? Yeah. And we would think, and I think we're in agreement on this, that mm-hmm. in 2022, with everything that's going on in the world, where yeah. we've arrived, yeah. that would be no big deal. Okay? But as many people as have humorously observed on Twitter and whatnot, you know... <laughs> <laughs> One person had said something to the effect of, you know, all these years, you know, including every Egyptian, uh, every, per- every, every Indian leader, Jesus, Santa Claus. It's like, you know, everybody that didn't need necessarily to be white has always been portrayed as such. Yeah. But you throw a black character into the Game of Thrones <laughs> oh, <laughs> universe yeah. and everybody loses their shit. They you do. know, they do. And and on the other end with the Lord of the Rings, it's like, yeah, you can believe in elves, dwarves, hobbits, and dragons, but a black character is just, you know, crossing the, the, the fourth oh, yeah. wall. Hey. Inconceivable. Two words. Twitter <laughs> erupts. Okay, there you go. So and that's and this is intertwined with and amongst the people that are fans of this genre and these particular productions, mm-hmm. they're not having it. And I gotta say, in, in this instance. You know, from what I remember of, of Tolkien, he makes reference to, you know, darker complexions and whatnot, and, and some characters being, uh, in, in quotes, hardier right. and swarthier than others. Yeah. And that should be enough to give you license to portray, you know, all these different races. Oh, sure. I think Game of Thrones is a, is a little different, though, because if you look back on the last, what was that, like eight seasons, I guess? Yeah. There really wasn't any characters of color, and the ones that were were more Middle Eastern. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was a bold move. It's like, okay, well, let's just hit everything at once. How about black folks with blonde dreadlocks? (laughs) Let's just cover all their bases at once. But again, it, it makes sense. Well, I kind of feel the need to point out to people that this is fantasy. Right. You know, there's nothing. Anything goes. Yeah. You know, answer your own question. What makes fantasy work? Because anything goes. Yeah. It's surprising. It's, it's not whimsical. a historical study of. Bingo. You know, they were never dragons. They were right. never <laughs> dragons, man. Come on now. <laughs> you know, that should tell you something right, right. then and there. So, hey, if you're going to try out a warlord that looks like uh, a reject from Millie Vanilli, that's fine. Run with it. Because it's fantasy. Absolutely. (laughs) Good God. So now that we get that out of the way, now we can talk about the actual interesting aspects. Yeah. And in as much as 
comparing the two, they're very similar, yet very different. Well, it's kind of funny, too, because the, the timing, and I can't think that this was intentional, um, because of the timing of both, now suddenly they're in competition with each other. Yes. If not amongst the creators, then definitely amongst the critics mm -hmm. and to a great degree amongst the fans. Right. And it was just a timing thing. And I've but already had conversations with people that were fans of Game of Thrones, yeah. and they are committed, I'm not going to mention their names, but they are committed <laughs> to House of the Dragon, right. whereas anything like the, the, the Rings of Power, oh, that's crap. Yep. That's, yep. that's nerd stuff. I'm watching House of the Dragon. Mm. Really? You're yeah. really going to slice the onion that thin? <laughs> really? And then another friend of mine who's, who knows everything there is to know about Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games and Tolkien, I had jokingly said to his wife, well, I'm surprised your husband hasn't made this required viewing. And he jumps at me on Facebook just saying, that's trash, and anybody who watches it is trash because oh, it's all just it's conjecture. None <laughs> of this stuff is canon in the books, and they take this shit very seriously. Apparently, very they do. seriously, right? Yeah, know your know your audience, know who you're talking to. Oh my god, I thought sports fans were bad. God, serious. Fantasy season is upon us, indeed. Oh yeah. Well, I will say that um, House of House of the Dragon, House of the Dragon, is mm -hmm. that yeah, yep. was accessible to me, but unfortunately, Rings of Power was not. Uh, I haven't jumped into the whole streaming revolution just yet. Can you believe that, folks? Yeah, I know. I know. I'm <laughs> lagging. I'm lagging. But uh, I did the next best thing. I checked out all the trailers, mm -hmm. uh, read critical reviews, and I will say there was one critic that said, Rings of Power blows House of the Dragon away. Like this was some kind right. of gladiatorial contest. Yeah, I mean, because they, they came out within one week, literally, of each other. Yeah. And both seemed to have a lot of wins on the, under the sales and uh, they'll probably go for let's say five seasons let's let's be conservative and say five seasons I would say yeah. we're going to be dealing with this competition for five oh, seasons and they're going to at some point they're going to try and outdo each other Yep. because yep. you got two mammoth streaming services between HBO Max which is part of the Warner family right okay yep. now Warner Discovery I should say and uh, obviously Amazon with the, the, the Bezos empire yep. and you know, Bezos himself is in love with this project because he is a Tolkien file. Ah, and okay. he's been wanting this forever to pull this off. So he's not going to spare any expense. Wow. Whereas with House of the Dragon, I don't see them skimping anywhere. Yeah. But there's been a lot of, of um, you know, machinations in the background with yeah. Warner Brothers Discovery as far as cutting costs whether axing half the ne'er-do-wells on CNN, <laughs> sorry, it was too easy, Oops. or you know, canceling a lot of Warner Brothers movies, DC Comics in particular, right. that were like already in the can. That that Batgirl film was done, and they're yeah. like, nope, not going to release it. And done to the tune of what ninety mil? Yeah, and they're just like, nope, not even going to extend it to video. Nothing. Just, I know that's crazy. That's that's some cutthroat shit, right yeah, there. Yeah, it is. But I will say, just in in throwing gas on the fire and fueling the competition. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe this was by design. I don't know. but And I will qualify this by saying I only saw the trailers of Rings of Power. But in watching House of the Dragon, mm -hmm. as ambitious as it is, obviously ambitious, and from a TV context, they obviously have a budget. Mm -hmm. um, I heard the term epic television used more than once in descriptions of both and reviews of both. I will say that in watching... House of the Dragon, I did still feel like I was watching TV. Right. Whereas, and yeah, okay, the, the trailers, the Eclipse, obviously, it's the mm -hmm. best best of. 
But Rings of Power did feel more like a theatrical experience. Right. Well, as as you know, the, the lucky one here sitting that's seen both. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things we were talking about earlier was, you know, well, let's hit upon, you know, what each does best. Okay? Right. Right. So, like, from that standpoint, I, I think House of the Dragon is more watchable for the masses. Okay. Because it's more, let's just call it baseline entertainment. Right. So, if you like whodunits, you'll enjoy it. If you like thrillers, you'll enjoy it. If you like political intrigue, you'll enjoy it. Yep. Whereas watching uh, The Rings of Power, you do need to be invested at some level in the yeah. whole story of Middle Earth. Yeah. Otherwise, it falls flat. Yep. Okay? Yep. It would come off as generic. The names and the places that they're introducing are, by and large, all new. And it's a lot to wrap your hands around. Whereas people who are watching House of the Dragon have a bit of a head start if they've already enjoyed Game of Thrones because a lot of the places they will recognize from that show. Right. Not to say it doesn't stand up on its own if you didn't watch Game of Thrones, but it's it's just more user-friendly, let's say, right. than sitting in front of the, the much more lavish production uh, and much more imaginative scope of The Rings of Power. Right. Now, that being said, that's also been, you know, by and large, the big complaint of a lot of reviewers is that Rings of Power moves along a bit more slowly, yep. and they're like, where's the payoff? What characters am I getting behind? Yep. All the stuff that the more seasoned showrunners of uh, House of the Dragon, they knew right off the bat, how do we hook them? Yep. We use the same shit we did in, in Game of Thrones, because yep. it's tried was, and true. That was noticeable. That was definitely noticeable. And again, in reading critical feedback on both, um, I do think... I think you were just making reference to this, that, that Rings of Power has a lot higher mountain to climb because there's a lot more story they need to establish mm -hmm. than what they're doing with House of the Dragon. I don't think House of the Dragon is too big a departure from right. Game of Thrones. Uh, and I did hear the terms dull <laughs> and mm -hmm. boring yep. used by critics to describe Rings of Power. Yeah. And it's kind of like eh, taking a taking a taking one on the hip for the team mm -hmm. in order to build these stories to build to the crescendo it's almost like you got to concede the first couple episodes are going to be right. like this right whereas with house of the dragon you had payoff coming right out of the gate right out of the gate you're you right know? you're right i and mean we were joking earlier you know one of the things that i did like about yeah you know, from somebody who likes both okay yeah, yeah. you know the the thing that i enjoy about the rings of power is that they've kind of made Orcs and goblins threatening again, right. whereas by the end of the Peter Jackson films, they were like the stormtroopers of Middle Earth. <laughs> yeah. They couldn't kill anything. They couldn't hit anything. It's just like, how are we going to mow them down this episode? Yeah, they're kind of like the bad guys of the 80s and the Schwarzenegger exactly. films. They might as well be ninjas. Yeah, <laughs> their, their aim sucked. They couldn't <laughs> right. hit anything. You know, whereas in this, was, even was, if it's only one that appears, it's like, oh my, this, this is a threat. Right, you know? right. And I, I, I kind of like that. As well as they're kind of flexing the military might of of the elves, which you didn't see a whole lot of in the movies. Yeah, and um, again, to be selfish, having read a lot of the other works of, of Tolkien, they've already started showing a lot of the lands and kingdoms that were always mentioned in these other right. texts right. that they just simply didn't have time to get into in the movies. Right. So, I would think like a a quick fix if it's even needed for the Rings of Power yeah. is that they need to 
do a little more callbacks to the movies in order to get the general public more accepting of it? I think so. I mean, one of the things about Rings of Power that's a, a daunting hill to climb, a, a very, very daunting mountain to climb, in fact, is that a lot of the stuff they're creating on the spot. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the, the, the Peter Jackson films are all based on literature. Right. And they were all pulled from literature. There were references to some of the things that they're... Uh, they're doing in Ring of Power in the original Tolkien texts, mm-hmm. but there aren't books that they're basing it specifically on. Right, right. And that's pretty challenging because that's a literary bar mm-hmm. that's been set that you have to live up to. And again, in the competition between the two, uh, Game of Thrones had a very well-earned reputation for gratuitous sex and violence. Yes, it did. Extreme <laughs> gratuitous sex and violence. Uh, and brutality towards women. Yeah. House of the Dragon. Picking first right episode. <laughs> they went for it, you know. Yep. I will say the the whole pregnancy scene wasn't as bad as I was told mm-hmm. it was, but it was pretty gruesome. Yeah. And then you had orgies, you know. Mm-hmm. The Prince Damon was involved, I think, in two orgies in the first episode alone. Right. So they know where their uh, where their grab bag is. They know mm-hmm. what's in the grab bag. They know what they're going to go for. So, yeah, after the first episode, you definitely feel more involved. You feel more drawn in by House of the Dragon because of these elements. Mm-hmm. And they're not wasting any time. They're going right to them. And they have a propensity to kind of throw in a uh, Catch-22 like twist. Yeah. Like when you think somebody's screwed... Hold your beer, because <laughs> yeah. it's going to be like a, a little capstone on the end of that, which makes them doubly screwed. Yeah, we're not done yet. Yeah, like, oh, oh, and then there's that. Wow, that's pretty damn depressing. Yeah. I can't wait to see it next week. Yeah, to snuff out the queen in the very first episode coming right out of the gate. But again, it, it's a formula that's worked for them when they knocked off Ned Stark, you know, two episodes in, I think it was, yeah. in the original Game of Thrones. Yeah. And, you know, kudos to them, because so far, like, the whole Stark family... Name is mentioned once, right. so they're really diving into a, a new realm um, of, of characters and lineages and, mm-hmm. and you know alliances with these countries and whatnot. Both shows, I, I think, have a rich tapestry ahead of them. Yeah, and boring, you know, some ridiculous bullshit. Because believe me, folks, we're not sitting here trying to say that we could do better than the showrunners oh, of these respective no. programs. Yeah. Um, but there's there's so much opportunity to make both of these amazing. Yep. People should probably watch both if they can. Oh, yeah. And I think, too, that if you know at all the background and, and what they're doing with Rings of Power, mm-hmm. you have to approach it with a degree of patience. Yes. You really do. And right. Because, again, it's, it's adult literature. Tolkien yeah. was not written for children. No. I mean, granted, The Hobbit is a wonderful story with, with a rich... Um, you know, descriptive style of writing. Yeah. But Lord of the Rings, look, uh, I'll be the first one to tell you without fear of ostracization from the nerd society. Yeah. It's a tough read. Okay. Yeah. Silmarillion, yeah. a brutally tough read. Well, you just said it. It, <laughs> it wasn't written for children. No. It really wasn't. You, you kind of had to have a vocabulary uh, going in mm-hmm. in order to understand, in order to appreciate what Tolkien was doing. Right. And not to, not to throw aspersions on anybody, but I don't think House of the Dragon necessarily has that bar to live up to. Correct. You, you are know? correct. Makes it a little easier for them, but in the long run, and purely speculation, the payoff at Rings of Power might be a little bit higher 
mm-hmm. uh, because of the necessity of, like right. I said, patience and letting them build a story. Let them let them mm-hmm. get all of the elements in play. Yep. Um, you know, it, House of the Dragon is a little bit more immediate gratification, right? Because and, and you're you're hitting on a very important facet of it because, you know, House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones, they are written. Uh, at least Game of Thrones, it's from a series of books specifically written to entertain. Yeah. Whereas the entire concept of, of Middle Earth, and whether it be the Lord of the Rings or the Rings of Power, is nothing more than an allegory for the horrors of World War One. Yeah. I mean, oh, you can yeah. dress it up however you want and say, well, he was a master of languages and it enabled him to flesh out some of the oldest you know, Anglo-Saxon legends and whatnot. Yep. Yeah, sure, that's a part of it. Yeah. But the whole thing was inspired by the horrors of trench warfare. Yeah. You know, I mean... Well, right then and there, you just, you just said it. With Rings of Power, we have allegory at work here. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a higher plane of thinking. It's a higher plane of art. Uh, I think both of these things, you could argue, are art. Right. Um, it's almost too intelligent for the likes of us to be talking about this. <laughs> College degrees are not. We're we're way over ahead. Of yeah, this one. a little bit, a little bit. You know. So on that note, you yeah. know what? I'm not a doctor, but I have an anecdote for oh, that. Oh, there we go. Okay. Some would call it the tasty gem of riffs and rants. Ah, uh, yes, the, the, the middle gem, <laughs> the aforementioned middle yes, gem, the the Arkenstone nerd reference of of the middle of the episode. <laughs> the middle gem coming <laughs> coming to you from Middle Earth, folks. Yes, so directly from Middle Earth. Vis-a-vis our ambassadors, Led Zeppelin. Very appropriate. Very, very, very appropriate. appropriate. So, say. yeah. Our middle gem today, folks, is a little nugget uh, called Misty Mountain Hop. And we're going to play that for you right now. So we'll be back in a couple more minutes with our subtopic. And if you thought the first topic was nerdy, strap yourselves down. <laughs> we'll be right back.
talk about appropriate. You know, you're talking rocking tunes, fantasies, and goblins <laughs> and, and wizards. That's when you. That's when you got to have the Zeppelin, man. Yes, even in, in the Zeppelin. case of this song, where really all they reference is the Misty Mountains from the Hobbit. Right. It's enough. Yeah. It's enough. Well, it's just that the, the whole energy, the whole vibe about it, just yeah. lends itself to that. You know, and you got the the, the tall, screaming. Blonde lead singer who looks like Jesus. He, yeah, he, well, yeah, that or you know, <laughs> or one of Galadriel. These, yeah, well, one of these guys that's like fucking jousting in the movie. You sure, know? sure. And then you got the wizard Jimmy Page was with all his occult shit. You yep, know, it yep. just that just it fits. It just works. Bang, you know, <laughs> slam dunk. And we knew going into this. Well, I I knew once I approached you with the idea for the episode, I had said I'm like, oh, and the gems are going to be so easy. Oh, yeah. Well, anytime the show prep involves listening to Led Zeppelin to get in the right state of mind, that's a good show in the making, right? True. There. That's True. fun. That's like, oh, we're going to enjoy this. So. so carrying that wave of enthusiasm, yes. we'll uh, go now a little, just a little self-indulgent like we sometimes do. Just a wee bit. And in the vein of this uh, sword and sorcery genre and goblins and creatures and dragons... We're going to talk about uh, our personal top three fantasy movies of the sword and sorcery genre. Oh, yeah. You want to talk about flashback fodder? Yes. You know, you start remembering where you were and what you were smoking the first time you saw these movies. (laughs) That's only you. You're the only one that feels that way. Oh, okay. All right. Me, I was eating Cheetos and drinking Pepsi, probably. Oh, okay. Okay. Straight edge, but I didn't even know what that was. (laughs) But yes, to a point, you are correct. Because now, at least you can go back. Uh, Certainly inebriated at the very least and enjoy the movies that much more. Yeah. Because they all hold up. Well, I just, I have to laugh because I'm going down, you know, my list of, of uh, potential choices here and it's mm-hmm. like mushrooms, mushrooms, <laughs> LSD, mushrooms, more LSD. And you had more choices than usual because a lot of times when we do these top threes, uh, my good friend and co-host Michael Sean Lee has, he has a hard time selecting them. <laughs> so uh, when I say five, he comes at me with three. When I say Three he comes at me with two in an alternate. Yeah, but no, you had you a know? bunch this time, so oh, you can was, be picky and choosy. Oh, the well was was deep on this one. Right. This I mean, was... the eighties alone just lent itself. I know what was that? <laughs> it, it truly was. I think fully three quarters of, of the movies that I jotted down as potentials yep. were all from the eighties. And there's some some you know highbrow big budget pieces in here, but a lot of it was made by like Canon films and yeah. shit. Oh no doubt. Direct to video. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and we'll say that of course none of the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit movies have been included because that's just so obvious. Oh, yeah. That They're was, great and whatever. Yeah, that was low-hanging fruit to say the least. So but I will say what was kind of fun too was like discovering that uh, Ridley Scott was behind this one. Sure. Or yeah, George yeah. Lucas yep. tried his hand with this one. Mm-hmm. It, it was like, oh wow, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because it's just tried and true Good movie making. Yeah, very since, much so. since the age of almost age of silent films, but you know, since talkies started, people they they want an escape when they go to the movies. Yes, and all these pieces of literature that we've referenced, not just throughout the show, but that are just out there, um, have been a part of the movies since day one. Yeah, you know, sword yeah. and sorcery, King Arthur. Yeah, you know, knights at a round table. Great Elsa. material to draw from. Yeah, and yeah. it's just always been there. So I mean, that being what, said, twelve different. Excalibur yeah, films totally. or Excalibur related or you know, Knights of the Round Table. Yep. Yeah. Because it's just it's just good stuff. Timeless, you know, even you know, those those people that say that that's uh, you know, heavily incorporated into the original Star Wars movies. Yes. You've got the you know, the wizard figure, 
you know, the young King Arthur, then yep. he's got to un- unseat his father from the throne. I mean, all these things are just universal. Yep. yep. And that's why they work. Yeah. So I who mean, are we to judge? Well, I'll tell you who. True. We're the host of the show. <laughs> and we we're about to judge. Let's do it. So I will kick off with my number three in my top three. Okay. And, and you know, it goes without saying, these were very difficult choices because yeah. there's so many good movies out there. And uh, if we mention any of these folks that you want to see that you didn't catch, like the title or whatever, just drop us an email and we'll point you in the right direction. Indeed we will. So I'm going to start off with uh, my number three. Uh, it's like a C-level movie, I okay. think. Okay. It's called uh, Sword of the Valiant, and I believe it came out in the early 80s. It starred a Miles O'Keefe, whose other major role was of Tarzan, opposite Bo Derek. Yes. Uh, but this movie also incorporated uh, Sir Sean Connery. And um, the evil German guy with the with the monocle from Indiana <laughs> Jones and, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, whose name escapes me. Yeah. Um, but it's basically the tale of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Yeah. And it's a erotically fun little adventure. Uh, for me, one of the highlights was the um, the fun music done, I believe, by Vangelis, which was this. Uh, I don't know, computer-generated, synthesized yeah, music. Yeah, another thing from the 80s. Yeah, right? that was in a lot of movies, yeah. they, and especially canon films. They did a lot of the music for that. Yeah. So it just kind of works. And, and you know, kids today might watch it and be like, well, this is kind of boring. But it's it's a fun. It's a you know nice start, middle, finish. Yes. I love it very simply because the, uh, the armor is done so well for the Knights of the Round Table and whatnot. And look, anything Sean Connery is in, you got to sit and watch that shit. Kind of funny that Sean Connery pretty much appears in all of these films. What, what was <laughs> Spoiler. That? I yeah. know. Seriously. So there you go. That's my number three. Very good. Sword of the Valiant. Nice. Um, I have to do like honorable mentions first. Uh, I know. I know. Because there were a couple of them that was just like, oh, you know, this could... In the next uh, life, my co-host uh, is going to be a binary thinker. <laughs> Black and white, yes little, and no, little on something off. To look forward to, you know. But uh, <laughs> gotta give, gotta give an honorable mention. Shout out to Highlander. Yes, of course. Um, even though aforementioned Sean Connery apparently hated that film so much he refused to do press for it. Happy Halloween, ladies. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I know. Funny. Uh, gotta throw out an honorable mention to um, Rain of Fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Had the dragons, you know, didn't have the sorcerers and, and right, whatnot, right. but big, big dragon film. And I personally love the film. It got shit all over, courtesy of the critics, but I loved it. Uh, and Big Trouble in Little China. Mm-hmm. And, you mm-hmm. know, also, it had you know some some funky Asian dudes, right. you know, and, and, <laughs> and some really goofy special effects and whatnot. And the guy that, that played Shaolin was that his name, Shaolin? Shaolin, I think so. Yeah, he just got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Did he really for being that Asian guy that, that played dude. all those roles? He's in his eighties. God bless him. Yeah, he's... I, I was happy when when I saw that. Absolutely, you know? well deserved, yeah. well deserved. But uh, yes, number three, I'm going to go with 1995's Legend. Uh, directed mm. by Ridley Scott, starring Tom Cruise. In short pants. Very, yeah, I know. <laughs> Don't you know me, boy? Very trippy film, very bizarre film. It is. It's it's not campy. It's more like acid rock. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. And not a film you would picture Tom Cruise being involved in. Not at all. But, uh, but it definitely had the hand of Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. It was obvious and... Uh, and good fun. Yeah. It was it was very enjoyable to watch. And as I had said to you when you first told me, my singular favorite representation of the devil in yes. any movie ever, yes. courtesy of Tim Curry. Thank you. Yes. Um, and not to to put down uh, Viggo Mortensen, 
in uh, the movie Prophecy. Yep. Yeah, but because that was pretty damn scary. But just the the, the prosthetics and everything they put yeah. on. Um, oh yeah, we could do a Tim whole Curry, separate topic on yeah. guys that played the devil, De Niro yeah. and Angel Heart is a yep. good example and whatnot. But yeah, Curry just just nails. And it. actually, I'm not positive on this if I'm a hundred percent correct. Okay, but the um, the rap star Lil Nas X. Yes. Okay, did a video where he's doing a lap dance on the devil. And I'm really? pretty sure they might have used the same makeup that they used on oh, Tim no Curry kidding. on nice. this representation. Nice. So what was already good, they took to the nth level with that. <laughs> so kudos. <laughs> Way to know your stuff. Right on, right on. All right, your number two, Johnny. All right, my number two. Uh, I got to go with uh, a guilty pleasure movie. Okay. Dragon Slayer. All right. Because, again, and this came out during the, the height of my fascination with Dungeons and Dragons. And to this day, because of course this is pre-CGI, yeah. in my opinion, referencing you know Game of Thrones and, 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 and Rings of Power, yeah. the best representation of a dragon that I've seen, I don't even know how they did this shit, because yeah. it had to have been a puppet, but this thing walks, it, it's got all the, like, the reptilian movements, yeah. so it's not like claymation or any of that crap. Wow. I don't know how they do it, but it looks just so badass and, and literally scary. Like, if this dragon, more than anything else I've seen in any movie ever, yeah. if this shit's crawling out of a hole and coming after me, my ass is running. Uh-huh. I was running. <laughs> and it's got um, the guy whose name I always forget. He was in Ally McBeal, like, way when he was younger. Yeah. Um, Sir Ralph Richardson plays, like, a wizard. And even in that, it's kind of like, was he a wizard, or did he just know, like, tricks? Because right. everybody's portrayed in their dirty medieval forms the way they, they should be, you know? yeah. yeah. But they even show like the, the baby dragons nibbling on the princess that they just sacrificed. Oh, it's just no kidding. All these things that should be incorporated in movies, but it's left to your imagination, yep. is in Dragon Slayer, you know? Nice. And I just nice. I just love it. And dragons are a great archetype, too. They're right up there with vampires. Oh, yeah. In, in fantasy lore, mm-hmm. you know, as great, great characters, you know? Right? And I'll say right now, I'm so glad that neither one of us picked the never-ending story. <laughs> With that, that ACDC dragon thing the kids riding around yeah. on. Yeah. Oof. That's you know, another, another honorable mention. Do you remember Labyrinth? Yes. With, uh, with David Bowie? Yep, yep. Oh, yeah, that was, yeah. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, over to you, sir. Your number, um, was it two? Number two? Number two, another one from the vintage, vintage era of these films, the 80s. I'm going to go with uh, 1988's Willow. Okay. With, uh, with okay. Al Kilmer, it was directed by George Lucas. Yep. And uh, another trippy, you know, just odd kind mm-hmm. of, you know, we need to do mushrooms and watch this kind of film. Right. You know what I mean? Just and fun. it was good. I mean, it's not one of my favorites, which I had already expressed to you. Yeah. But you got to respect to the fact that it, it came out at a period when everything was either science fiction or. Indiana Jones type yeah, stuff. Yeah. So they kind of snuck in a fantasy movie, and everyone's like, "What? What is it? Fan- Midgets and dwarves? What? What was this? You know? Yeah. Oh, it's got Val Kilmer in it. That guy from that thing. You know? <laughs> and the little dude that played R two D two, and it kind of yeah. worked. Yeah. And now here we are, all these years later, they, a sequel coming out next month or something. I know. Nonsense. How funny is that? So yeah. So and I Val- guess I'm on the outside looking in on this yeah. one. Val Kilmer is like the epitome of that guy that was in that thing. You yep. know? Yeah. And made just, it good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. All right, all right, here we are. Crash oh, Tax right. Time, our number one picks. Title belt time. And, and this one, I really didn't have to reach that far for this because it's just one of those movies that it's kind of hard to, to pigeonhole into a particular genre. Yeah. But it, it definitely meets the fantasy 
billing. Okay. Um, I couldn't tell you the name of the guy that starred in it. I could tell you some of the co-stars that were in it. Yeah. Like a very super duper young Liam Neeson. Oh wow. Okay. Um, the movie was Crawl. Oh wow, yes, I remember that. And the basic gist was this guy's a prince, he's gonna get married, some demon in this floating tower that keeps changing locations snatches her away, and his birthright, rather than a sword, is kind of like what they call a coit, uh, but this one's got blades on it, so he throws it, and then like a boomerang, it comes back to his hand. Right. Um, but there's like lasers in this thing and everything, so it's almost yeah. like sci-fi, fantasy, you know. Um, but again, you got some old English actors that kind of just lend credibility to it. Yep. You know, yep. throw yep. a British accent on anybody, it's like, yep, yeah. that's real. Yeah. Was, and was Patrick Stewart in that somewhere? Because he no. he turns up in a lot of these too. You know? It's like again, bringing credibility. Yep, you know? yep. No, they used him in Excalibur. Oh, there we go. For there all go. the reasons you just mentioned, it yeah. worked. I remember Crow being just. The, it seemed like it was dense. There was a lot going on. There was on. a lot going on. You had yeah. the Cyclops that that knew how he was going to die, and right. the wizard that kept turning into shit that he didn't want to turn into, <laughs> and you know, great music by the London Philharmonic. You know, plodding along and keeping a, a decent pace in the whole movie. Sure, sure. So it was it was good. It's always relegated as a, as a B movie, but for me, that's like it's not an insult. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, nice. So that's good stuff, name. Johnny. Good what stuff. do you got, sir? Um. Again, as we were talking about, there are so many different versions of the Excalibur story, mm-hmm. so many different versions of King Arthur, Knights of the Round Table. It's, it's hard to sort them all out, right. pick which one is the best. But, uh, but I'm going to go with the 2004 uh, version, King Arthur, mm-hmm. with Clive Owen, just because I think Clive Owen really carries that film. Right. You know, he brings a gravitas to that role that is just unique. And it was, it was interesting portraying them as Romans. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, okay, that's a different way to look at it. Yeah. And then its own kind of plane of existence, it, it made sense. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, and it really got to the, the camaraderie of the knights, right. I thought, you know, and the sacrifices mm-hmm. and what they were willing to do for God and country, even though it was like, okay, we're all going to die now. Right. You know, you, you get that, right? We're all we're going to die before the end of this. Yeah. And then they do it anyway. Martyrs make good stories. Exactly. And I'm just glad you went with that rather than first night, as, as we discussed. Yeah. That was just... The cheese factor was so high. You know, if Richard Gere could have stopped at any point in the movie being smug, I, I would have given it a little bit more right. credence. And nobody wants a smug Lancelot. No. And I no. couldn't get around the fact that a suit of armor consisted of, like, a shoulder pad. Yeah. That's just not doing it for me. I just wanted Sean Connery to kill him. I just I wanted that, you know? But, uh, but yeah, just a little too much Richard Gere on that one. Yeah. Just a little bit much. But that's our, our well-rounded, uh, you know, looking through the lens of yeah, nerddom again. good fun. Let's say that we're good all fun. over the place on that, and it, it kind of works. Absolutely. Of course, everyone's going to have a difference of opinion, and that's what makes the world yep, go round. Absolutely. If you want to spark a debate, go down this road. Bingo. Yep. yep. So now, I tell you what, in the immortal words of Dan Aykroyd, do you want to see something really scary? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. But yeah, we're gonna go down a whole different rabbit we're hole do now. A little pivot here, a little pivot, huge pivot. Yeah, and um, well, let's just say first of all, we're about to play an Ava tune. Yeah, again for the second time in the history of this program. Yes. we're closing with an, an Ava tune. Yes, but it's so appropriate. So I tell you what, why don't we just play it for the good folks at home? Okay, and then we'll explain why. Sounds good. Which to they're me. probably gonna guess. I would think, unless like you say, they've been living in a cave with horrible Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi reception. Yeah, right. That happens. It happens. Fair enough. All right. Let's spin this tune, folks. We'll be back in a couple more minutes with an explanation. Some thoughts.
I like Ava. We I know you like do. Ava. You know. And any excuse to play Ava is welcomed <laughs> by your camp. Well, it's like, you know, for so many years, you know, being a uh, musician on, of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Some note. Alternative. <laughs> <laughs> of the alternative genre. You could not openly proclaim your love of a band like ABBA. Or if you're a man, you just can't do that. You can. Yeah. You know, to yeah. oversimplify it. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Pretty much. <laughs> um, but yeah, being at the point in life that we both are, mm -hmm. I no longer give a shit about that kind of thing. Sure. It's we appreciate nice. music for music's sake? Yes. You kind of go from trying to be cool to just trying not to look like an asshole. Right. And yeah, it, <laughs> in, in that context, I can openly say, yes, I love the Sex Pistols. I also like ABBA. And that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yes, and uh, <laughs> and that, of course, was "Dancing Queen" by ABBA, who mm -hmm. I love. I don't know if I mentioned this to yeah, you. Yep. Uh, that was the lead single from their fourth album, "Arrival," which came out in 1976. I think arguably their most famous tune as well. You know, ironically, you should mention that it was their only number one hit in the U.S. Really? Yeah. That they I had, did not know. Yeah, they had a, a voluminous number of songs that charted, of course, because right, right. they're ABBA. But yeah, that was the only one that hit number one huh. in the U.S. Did and uh, 1976. Oof. I I think <laughs> that was. If it wasn't 76, 77 was the Diamond Jubilee. I think of of the Queen of England's reign or something like that. Uh, maybe. Yeah, something along those lines. Okay. Uh, which is a vague reference to the reasoning behind why we play yes. this ABBA song. There it is, folks. A little nod. Little nod. Tip of the hat to. The uh, the late Queen of England. Yes, Queen Elizabeth II. The second. The uh, second. Shed this mortal coil just a few days ago. At the ripe old age of 96. 96, yeah. right? The things you see in 96 years. And that's the... You nailed it. You know, because people are of many different thoughts about the passing of the Queen. You've yes. got the very generic... Stupid royal family, they're all stupid. <laughs> stupid and stupid and stupid. Okay, very that's, generic, yes. That's the ugly American abroad. Indeed. And then you've got, you know, people that... Overly indulge in it, you know, the passing of a lioness. <laughs> no, not so much. But there's there's no getting around the fact of uh, her service to her country. Yes, the sacrifices that she made. Now, and 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 and, and you know, people forget. All they see is most of the royals, at least like the brand name royals. Yeah, um, living in a lap of luxury. Yeah. Okay, which might be true. Yeah. But their days, their nights, their, their agenda, their lives are not their own. They belong to the body public mm -hmm. that they represent because yeah. that's their job. And their whole life is service. Right, right. You know, as, as we were discussing pre-show, all the men mm -hmm. have to serve in the military. Yep. Uh, some of them have seen combat. Sure. Um, the things, the altruistic things that the Queen did mm -hmm. over the course of her life. Uh, and that's just a, the schedule they keep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Always on the go, doing this tour, that tour, speaking you know, for this foundation and that. And, you know, they, they do a lot of good. And in short, that's what I'm saying. They do a lot of good, and it goes overlooked. Yes, you don't need a royal family, okay? Right. right. However, even to this day, the first order of business in England when they've got a new prime minister, okay, their version of, of the president, basically, yep. what do they do? They go meet the queen, yep. okay? And, yep. and since Winston Churchill, to put some perspective on this thing, yep. they've all met with Queen Elizabeth, yeah. okay? Oh, yeah. Through good and bad, through changing times, through the advent of jet airplanes, through the advent of television, yep. okay? 
through computers, cell phones, you oh, name yeah. it. She took power in, I believe it was 1954. Yeah, at what, 26 years old? Yeah, I Winston it was. Churchill, as a matter of fact, was still alive mm-hmm. and was still the Prime Minister of England. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it, you know, modern times we can debate until we're blue in the face and beating each other with furniture, the pluses and minuses of, minuses of colonialism. Mm-hmm. Um, but unless you can't keep two thoughts in your head at the same time, <laughs> colonialism is a double-edged sword. There's Look at you lashing and... out at the liberal media. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. But, and uh, you're right. You're right, though, because yes, that's already started, especially from the um, the closeted intellectuals of yes. academia here in the states. Pseudo intellectuals. Those individuals from them. yeah, so those individuals um, that are able to express their thoughts via Twitter, yeah. um, railing against her because you know she she didn't do enough to end colonialism or yeah. speed up the end of colonialism. Yep. Look. I mean, those wheels were already in motion post-World War II. Yeah. She didn't speed it up. She didn't slow it down. But she certainly, I think, helped add a little grace to the whole process. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, it, it, it's easy to throw stones at these people from a distance based on what you think you see and what you know. Yeah. Um, but the fact remains, you know, nobody ever really had anything bad to say about the queen, yeah, you know? Yeah. And like I said, for me, being a history buff, seeing the, the breadth of experiences that she went through and the sacrifices she made to always be that idyllic figurehead, yes. you know, as, as a British Army officer once told me, you know, their real, like, raison d'etre is to show the men how to die, yeah. Okay, yeah, <laughs> and that's a big part of the British culture. Even you know the other members of the royal house or the lords and ladies who were you know gentrified and inherit these estates and titles. Not all of them, but a very good portion. Certainly, at least the amount of of, of people we quote unquote elect. Like yep. I put that in air quotes there. Yeah, how do we elect to office to represent us? He's air quoting folks. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of difference there. And they say, well, they're born into it. Yeah, and is that any better than all the special interest groups forcing these people in <laughs> office when none of us seem to be voting for them? Yeah. Just Funny saying. How that shit works. Right, just yeah. saying. So in that light, she could have been anything she wanted to be. She could have done anything she wanted to do. Sure. She's the friggin' queen, okay? Yeah. Nobody in this day and age is going to come get her and haul her out to the guillotine, you know? Right. right. So, folks, we're just saying, you know, be gracious. Respect yeah. the, the, the breadth of work and the good that the woman tried to do while she was here. Yeah. Be gracious. Be civilized. Right. Be somewhat informed. Yeah. You know, this... this and new... live outside the moment. Oh, God. And yeah, stop, <laughs> stop, you know, redundantly repeating dogma. Yeah. Do a little research on your own. Do a little homework, you know. Like right. I said, try and keep two thoughts in your head at the same time. Yeah. You know, life isn't black and white. And if you need to, you know, you don't have to go too far to say, well, you know, Princess Diana crusaded her, her life uh, to eliminate, you know, landmines. Guess what? Everybody's still throwing landmines on the <laughs> ground, okay? I'm not saying that what she didn't, that she didn't do or didn't accomplish. All that was wonderful. Yeah. Nice lady, again, who gave of herself constantly. But it, it, it takes a little bit more than just waving a magic wand for this shit to go away. Unfortunately. You morons. Hey. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'm done railing now. <laughs> On nice. a lighter note, yes, 
What's going on in Big Boom Radio this week, Johnny? Well, fun stuff, other than my last comment. All right. Uh, our good friends in the uh, the rock group Rancid have yes. joined the ranks of the Classic Rock Showcase. All right. Again, it was overdue. Uh, and sometimes I just find myself listening to, to one of these great groups or artists, and I'm like, damn, how come they're not in there? Yeah. And that was the case with Rancid. No doubt. And I'm like, I could fill an hour with them easily, which I did. Yeah. I still have trouble... Uh, Wrapping my brain around the idea that Rancid now qualifies as classic classic rock, rock. ain't that some shit? It's, it's some indicator as to I don't know how long we've been around, how yeah. long we've been doing this kind of thing. Yep. And as I, the, uh, the the people in the know, those much more knowledgeable and powerful than us, yes, they've broken up um, classic rock now into first generation and second generation. You kind of have to at this point. Yeah. You really do. So I guess we could think of the first generation as more the the vinyl and Intro cassette era, right? And then the second generation is pretty much like from eighty five ninety, the CD crew, yeah, until yeah. two thousand at least. Yeah, um, two thousand is still getting airplay on quote unquote modern stations. Yeah, um, so yeah, at, at some point the well's going to drive it. That was episode I think one forty six of the Classic Rock Showcase. Wow, all right. So yeah, it's got even more episodes of that than it does of this. Damn. Um, Damn, it's just no sign of slowing down. Yeah. So, yeah. Also, in the not too distant future, I believe we have another uh, Blitzkrieg Pro Wrestling event coming up, a two nighter, okay. if I'm not mistaken. All right. Need to get some details. Need to get my sponsorship in. A lot of stuff going on in pro wrestling these days. Oh, so much stuff. Yeah. It's, it's almost begging for its own episode. Yeah. But that would make us like a niche podcast, <laughs> which we're certainly wait, not. Wait, no, no, hell no. Hell no. Because <laughs> <laughs> believe me, I just thought of this. We're a niche you can't scratch. <laughs> End quote. I got to get the copyright. The, the low hanging fruit, folks. <laughs> right there. So again, we spit on your niche. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So this is episode 122 in the kitty. I want to thank everybody for joining us. It was a good time. I, I feel like we got all this nerdness out of good, our system. Good fun. Nerding out. I, I, that was enjoyable. I had a good time. Sometimes you got to flex the nerd wings. You got to do it. And uh, yeah, so that's about it. So me, you know me, I'm Johnny Teflon. And I'm Michael Sean Lee. And we'll see you all again on the flip side.